and clap for me. All right, and action. Welcome to Living Room Worship at Ethos. We are so glad you're here. Whether you're a friend from near or far, we are glad you're worshiping with us. The Lord inhabits the praise of His people. And so we have the opportunity today to both sing and to listen and to hear and to think about God's glorious attributes. At this point, let's sing together. Charlie, lead us in worship. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We're glad to have you. We've been praying for you. We miss you. And we long to be together again soon. If these videos have helped you at all, please hit the like button. And if you have any suggestions for us, go ahead and leave them in the comments. Our call to worship today comes from Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us in our time of need. When everything around us seems shattered, you are true and you are good. We thank you that you have shown us things and continue to show us things about ourselves in this time of self-isolation. And you continue to show us things about yourself. As we continue to grow in knowledge and love of you, and you strengthen us. We pray that you would bless our worship this morning, and that you would receive all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's sing, My God, My King. I will sing, sing, sing to my God, my King, for all else fades away. And I will love, love, love with this heart you gave, for you've been good no I will sing, sing, sing to my God, my King, till all else fades away. And I will love, love, love with this heart you gave, 
sing, sing to my God, my King. All else fades away, and I will love, love, love with this heart you gave. Will you? simple and yet meaningful just take this time to reflect on God and his goodness who he is he is good always never changing to worship you, Lord. Oh, we ask you, Lord, to be near with us now.
every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever say Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Oh, we live for you
of my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me I will build my life upon your love it is a firm foundation and I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken Thank you Charlie that was great This morning I get the privilege of leading us through the pastoral prayer But before I do that, I want to take a second just to wish all our mothers a very happy and special Mother's Day. We're so thankful for all of you. Uh, We hope that you have an incredible day with your families and that you feel loved and appreciated. Join me now in the pastoral prayer. Heavenly Father, you are the creator and sustainer of all. You are holy and righteous in all you do. We are sinful. We are wrapped up in our own desires and do not keep our eyes on you. We are all selfish and prideful. We live as we don't need you and we treat those around us badly. We sin on our thoughts and the secret motives of our hearts and we sin with our words. With that tongue, we bless you as our Father and we curse one another, people made in your image. We also sin against you with our actions and with our bodies. You have told us that we should not only hear the word of God, but do it, living out our faith and obedience. We have not done that. We cannot come to you without grace. Forgive us and help us to forgive those who sin against us. Father, you have promised that if we confess our sins, you will be faithful and just to forgive us and purify us. How abundant is your goodness that you have stored up for we who fear you. Thank you for sending your son to redeem us from the domain of sin and death and to transfer us into his kingdom of light and love. Thank you for the freedom from sin you have given us and for adopting us into your family. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And now, Daniel Pauline, will you please lead us in our scripture this morning? Good morning, Ethos. Today's scripture is John 11, verses 1 through 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you are going there again. Jesus answered, are not there 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to the fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. The word of the Lord. For some of us, the last six weeks, our pace of life has drastically changed. For some of us, we have picked up the pace and worked very, very hard. And for others of us, the pace has become so dreadfully slow. In many cases, that change of pace was now welcomed and brought a lot of anxiety. But you know, from my conversations with many of you, I hear that you have adjusted quite well to the new pace, whatever it might be, and you've found portions of this new normal that you want to keep as we make our trek slowly back to normalcy. I was reminded of a time uh, when I was young and I was a kid and during the school year I was very, very active, always playing some sport, always going somewhere with my friends and enjoying the time together. But when the time, this time of year, springtime came and school year ended, I climbed up on a tractor seat and would spend the next two months there. I can remember that the first two weeks of being all day long, 10 to 12 hours on the tractor seat were torturous. I'd gone from a very fast pace to going round and round in circles at four mile an hour. But I found as time went on and as my rhythm changed, that I found that I loved it more and more until I really enjoyed my tractor time. My paradigm about time had shifted. Today, we return to Jesus' most remarkable miracle, raising Lazarus from the dead. And I want to consider it from the viewpoint of time. There are many riches we could mine here in the first 16 verses of chapter 11. But the one I want to focus on is Jesus' viewpoint regarding time. Jesus changed the world in three years. And yet we never seem to get the idea that he was busy or too busy for someone. He lived a very public life. He taught and he healed people constantly. He also invested deeply into the lives of his 12 disciples, but we never find that he was hurried or rushed. We never see that he was anxious about all he had to get done. He was never short on time. He always accomplished exactly what he set out to do. I have to confess to you that my life is not always that way. In fact, sometimes it's seldom that way. Sometimes my to-do list grows ever longer throughout the day instead of shorter. 
Sometimes I fret when I don't get enough done. I question, am I really accomplishing anything of eternal importance? Do I always allow the tyranny of the urgent to take over and outpace the important things of life? The scriptures tell me that I am constantly being shaped and reformed and conformed into the image of Christ. So Jesus' view of time needs to be ever-increasing measure becoming my own view of time. I want to ponder that thought for a bit as we consider the first 16 verses of John chapter 11. I want to point out to you that Jesus is being very purposeful in His use of time and then draw out some implications for us. The first thing I see in this text is that Jesus operated on His own timetable. Beginning in verse 5, we see that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when He heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. Did you hear what John wrote? Jesus heard that his friend, the one that he loved, was sick. So he stayed where he was for two more days. I never read that without marveling at how strange it sounds. Upon hearing that his sin, his friend was on his deathbed, Jesus does not leave. It feels so cold-hearted. But we know that no one loves like Jesus loves. Now from our vantage point, looking back, we know that he is about to do something really spectacular and unexpected. But in Jesus' day, no one was prepared for what was going to happen. You see, Jesus was operating on purpose, with purpose. His disciples had to wonder what was going on. They knew that He loved Jesus. But you see, they also knew that going back to Judea would be incredibly dangerous for Jesus and for them as well. The Jews, only a few weeks ago, had tried to stone him. We find, however, that Jesus was waiting for Lazarus to be dead for four whole days before he raised him from the dead. Now, Lazarus being dead for four days is extremely significant to our story. It is something that would be easy for us to miss. You see, in Jesus' day, there was a rabbinical tradition or a belief that the soul of the deceased person would somehow hover over the body for the first three days after it died. But as soon as a person's spirit would see the appearance change of the body, we know it as decomposition beginning it would depart. After three days, they believed, the effects of death 
were irreversible. So Jesus waited for. That is what makes this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead so much more significant. Now, when you consider the days uh, it involved, it is probably true that Lazarus died shortly after the messengers left from Bethany to come to Jesus, for it was about a one-day journey from where Jesus was to Bethany. So one day for them to travel. Jesus then lingered for two days, and then it took about one day's travel for him to get back to Bethany, which is the four days accounted for in Scripture. You see, Jesus delayed to make this miracle indisputable, that He was truly the Messiah. Now we find as well that with Jesus returning back to Judea, that He was signaling that the end was near for Him, He was going back to die. In about a week, he would be crucified. Jesus is setting the events into place, the events that would ultimately lead to him accomplishing the mission for which he came into the world. But his decision to go back to Judea was extremely unnerving to his disciples. Aren't you, would you consider the conversation that might have occurred that day between Jesus and his disciples? Would you think that perhaps his disciples might have asked him, uh, Jesus, you know that they want to kill you back there. For you see, Bethany was just a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. And a couple of weeks ago, the Jews tried to kill him there. I'm sure they tried to talk him out about, of going back. But when they saw that he was determined to go, it was Thomas that said, Okay, well, let's go die with him. In response to their fear of returning, he said in verses 9 and 10, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Notice once more Jesus' emphasis on time. He says there are 12 hours in the day. Now, I think if we understood how Jesus, uh, how the Jews kept time, I think it would help us understand what he is saying here. For you see, in the Jewish system, a day begins with sunrise and ends with sunset. Sunrise to sunset is a full day, regardless of how long those days were. In Palestine, the longest day would be about 14 hours and 12 minutes in our time. The shortest day would be nine hours and 48 minutes. But of course, they had no detailed timekeeping instruments like we do. They simply divided the daylight period into 12 equal segments. So one hour 
consisted of one twelfth of the daytime between sun, sunrise and sunset. An hour was not 60 minutes, but one twelfth of the day. So when he says, Are there, is there not 12 hours in a day? He is saying that the time is fixed for a day. No more or no less than 12 hours. When that 12 hours is completed, your work is done for the day. Daylight is gone. You won't be able to work in the dark. He is telling them that his time for working in the world was coming to an end. It was approaching the twelfth hour. His work would not be done until then. And he would leave no work undone. Jesus is telling them, I will accomplish all that I set out to do. Nothing will change that. I have all the time I need and no more. In a few weeks, we'll be looking at John chapter 12. A week will have gone by from the raising of Lazarus, and he will make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem just in time for Passover. Now, we know without a doubt that he purposefully came into Jerusalem at exactly the right time for him to be crucified as the Passover lamb. John tells us in chapter 1 of this gospel, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, a direct reference to the Passover lamb. It was no accident that Jesus came into Jerusalem precisely when he did. It was the plan of God. In addition, scholars make a compelling argument that Jesus rode into Jerusalem mounted on a donkey on the precise day that was predicted hundreds of years before. You see, the book of Daniel contains prophecies about the Messiah. One of those is that he would reveal himself in Jerusalem 483 days after an edict was made in Babylon. I've not personally done the math. I've seen the computations. But it seems to show that Jesus rode into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry exactly 483 years to the day after the edict. Nonetheless, the fact that he was crucified at Passover was certainly no accident. It was exactly the way his father and he had planned from before the foundation of the world was laid. Jesus is Lord of all, and he's the Lord of time. Now, what are the implications that we can draw from Jesus' purposefulness regarding time? I want to suggest to you that 
the first thing that I see is that we ought to live by the compass, not by the clock. Time is limited. As Jesus says, there are only 12 hours in a day. That's a finite time. I'm reminded that we have only one life to live. There are no warm-up laps. We have one shot at getting it right. We must endeavor not to waste it. One shot at living a life that is fruitful and for His glory. One opportunity to live in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One shot at being a good husband or, or a good wife. One shot at being a good parent. One shot at being a good friend. In addition, one shot at today. You're never going to get another today. So should we not endeavor not to waste today by being whiny or grumpy or fearful? May we not look back on our life wishing that we could have done it differently. What a waste. Let's start today and live our life purposefully. To do so, we have to determine what is truly important in life, what is important to me, and live in light of that. Johann Wolfgang van Gogh said, Things which matter most must never be at the mercy of things which matter least. I would add to that that busyness is not a virtue for us. Henry David Thoreau said, It's not enough to be busy. So are the ants. The question is, what are we busy about? Knocking out a hundred tasks for whatever reason is a poor substitute for doing even one task that is meaningful. Not everything matters equally. And success isn't a game won by whoever does the most. Yet that is exactly how most play it on a daily basis. I've heard as well that it's estimated that each of us do about 173 different things every day. And some days it feels like even more than that. But the problem is, is that for many of us, 170 of those really don't count toward anything meaningful. They are busy tasks. May I encourage you during this springtime corona reset to ask yourself, am I living a purposeful meaningful life? Am I seeking to follow Jesus and His purpose for me? You and I are placed upon this earth to long for and display the glory of God in the face of Jesus, to display His worth to the nations, to further His reputation. 
I'm reminded that a purposeful life is not about comfort and ease, about safety and security, but about following Jesus. I come back to Thomas' statement in verse 16. Let us also go that we might die with him. See, the disciples realized that going back to Judea with Jesus was dangerous. My friends, danger is real in this world. Jesus no doubt would die, and if they were with him, they would probably die as well. But I can't help but admire Thomas. He was willing to go and willing to die beside his Savior. He says, Jesus, no matter what happens, it's always better to be with you. Thomas was willing to go with Jesus and die alongside him. Here we find the principle of death and life, of dying to gain. Thomas was willing to die to gain being with Jesus. And I think that's the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means to try to die to trying, trying to please God with our own efforts, recognizing that our morality or our good works or ethics, our any sense of trying to be a good person won't cut it if we desire to know Jesus. We must seek instead to be accepted by faith and trust in what Jesus has done for us, not what we can do for ourselves. I think the same principle applies to living life as a follower of Christ. Paul writes that our Father bids us to come and die. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. To die as a follower of Jesus means that we die to our feelings of being entitled to all those things that seem so precious to us. Things like comfort and ease and safety and security of health and of wellness. We die to those and determine for ourselves that it is better to be with Jesus. It is in this being with Jesus, in, in pursuing our relationship with Him, that we find our true joy. And we may step into lives of purpose and meaning. Lives freed from the obsessions that for so long have held such a strong hold on us. It is interesting as well, as I read about Thomas here, 
that he was not only willing to live a life of meaning and purpose, even if it meant dying with Jesus, but he was also ready to encourage his fellow disciples to come with him and to die with him. You know, more than anything else in the world, at the end of my life, I long to hear, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. But second to that, I want you to come with me. May we encourage one another to live for Jesus, to live lives of purpose and meaning. Jim Elliott, missionary who gave up his life seeking to reach the Hurani people in the Amazon jungle, says he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Please pray with me. Father, I pray that you would give us a yearning to live meaningful and purposeful lives in relationship with you. May we use our time and effort in such a way that it brings glory and honor to you, our King. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you His peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.